when I looked at the sermon series we are in, uh, I, I'm not a prophet by any stretch of the imagination, but um, I started looking at, we talked about, we're in a sermon series called Deep Work. And we're going to read that scripture again this morning, Jeremiah 17, verse 7 and 8, where it says, if you trust in the Lord, he who trusts in the Lord will be like a tree planted by the water. When the heat comes, the leaves will stay green. And we talked about when, when the expected comes, we don't have anything to fear. But then it says when the year of drought comes, the, what we talk about, the unexpected. And I thought, Lord, you made me look really smart. So we're going to talk about the unexpected this morning. And, uh, and how important it is to be rooted. Amen. So, uh, so I want to, I want to let you know that I do by default believe in, if you want to call it silver linings, I believe there's one in every circumstance because Romans eight twenty eight says God can work all things together for good to those of them that love God and are called according to his purpose. So that tells me that you may not see good in a current situation, but you eventually will see God's hand move in a situation. Amen. If you love God, you're called according to his purpose. The Bible says that eventually in every circumstance, God will produce something good. And so my life is a testimony of that. I told our first service, some of you, some of you have been around me a long time, know my story. Uh, when I was uh, seven, between seven and eight years old, my dad was 28 years old and was, um, and was totally disabled. He lost all, uh, what they called vestibular function. He had no equilibrium. He couldn't do this anymore. He was 28, lost his driver's license. We had a, we lived in, in Southern Virginia, had my mom didn't work. We had a house, two cars, and my dad restored an old truck. And we had the, the classic middle-class young lifestyle. And, and I had a younger brother who's two years younger than me and, um, still have a younger brother, two years younger than me, by the way. Uh, who's a great guy and, and the carpet was absolutely ripped out from under us when I was about eight. My dad, uh, they think because of a fall in the military, uh, the, the nerves in his brainstem that controlled that function, uh, that just died. And, um, and so he had zero balance. Uh, his specialist in Richmond neurologist told him he was the most unstable man he had ever met. And he had to relearn how to walk at 28 years old. He couldn't drive. So I remember the first time he got, he got his driver's license back five years later, me and my brother were young teenagers. And I remember being in a panic in the back of the car thinking we could die today. Never been with dad driving really. So I don't even know how this is going to turn out. Uh, had to relearn how to walk, had to, had to, had to battle through massive amounts of depression because he could not physically work. He couldn't stand up. And so, um, and so we moved to West Virginia. It was the only reason we moved to West Virginia. I remember moving here at eight years old, living in my grandparents' basement. My mom made our clothes. And um, she had a job here working uh, for minimum wage. And, um, and so growing up from eight to when I left the house, normal things didn't happen like, like dad couldn't run with us, couldn't practice baseball, couldn't practice football, couldn't do those things. And so it was just the way we, we lived. We were pretty poor growing up, didn't go on vacation, any of those things. And I, and I remember growing up asking myself why that would happen. And then when I was 24 years old, I became the youth pastor of what was then called Hedgesville Assembly of God, this church here. And, uh, 
And a few years after that, I remember thinking to myself, the only reason I'm even in Hedgesville is because a traumatic thing had happened to our family. And I was, I met my wife here and um, uh, our kids were born. And, and so all those things were fruits from trauma. Come on. All those things where God works things for the good to those of them that love him according, called according to his purpose. And my parents' faith never wavered throughout that whole circumstance. And now uh, I had that same thought process uh, three years ago when I became lead pastor of Hope Community Church. I thought, God, if it wasn't for the difficulties in our life, I wouldn't be standing here right now. And so what I want to tell you just starting out is even though life seems chaotic, maybe, maybe this virus thing is the least of your worries. Maybe there's other things in your life that are swirling around that you have no idea how or when it's going to end or if there will ever be a solution. I can tell you right now, it may not seem like good in the moment. It may not seem like good a year later. It may not seem like good five years later, but God works all things together for good. Amen. So because of the circumstance I grew up in, I just by default believe something good will happen out of whatever I'm in. It just will happen. And I've seen people walk through the trials of faith over and over and over again, only to be victorious on the other end. And I want to encourage you with that. Is that good? Amen. All right, stand to your feet. John, Jeremiah chapter 17. Go read it again. Hey, you want to do something? You want to read it with me? Let's do that. Ready? Yep. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green. And it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Father, we thank you for that. It is your providence that causes us to be in this scripture at this time. And we pray, Lord, that we'd be trees that would bear fruit even in the midst of this chaos. God, let your church be fruitful because we're planted. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness already. And we thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. We have no reason to doubt it. Lord, you can be nothing else but faithful because that's who you are. So we thank you. We pray that you'd open up our minds to receive your word today. We pray that it would change us. Remove all anxiety, remove all fear, and replace it with your word that never passes away. Thank you today, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen. You may be seated is not anxious in the year of drought. We talked about in the first segment in the overview of what we we're going to be talking about that that drought represented the unexpected. It heats up every year. The heat comes whether we like it or not. The drought is is something that may hit us kind of sideways unexpected and and nobody woke up January 1st thinking thinking the middle of March we may be out of school. I can tell you my son wasn't thinking that, but he is awfully thankful that it happened. <laughs> the year of drought. 
the year of drought. When the year of drought comes, we don't have to be anxious. I have seen over the years circumstances dictating people's faith. I've seen over the years that, that we inadvertently tie our hope and security and faith to the current circumstance we're living in. And I want to tell you this morning that crisis in circumstances does not have to mean a crisis of faith. A crisis of circumstance does not indicate you have to have a crisis of faith. Just because things are sideways in your life does not mean God is sideways. It does not mean he's asleep. It does not mean that he's forgotten. It does not mean his plan is not going forward. It does not mean that he is any less God that we read in the New Testament than he is today. It does not mean anything about God has changed. The Bible says that he is the same yesterday, today, and all the way in the future as far as you can look. He's the same God. So as people, we inadvertently tie our joy, our hope, our faith to the circumstance we're currently in. And that is absolutely not scriptural. You didn't realize that, right? There's nowhere in scripture where it says, everybody's panicking around you. You should panic. Nowhere in scripture does it say, something bad is going on in your life, so you should give up. No matter of fact, what we read in scripture is the exact opposite. Over and over and over, God is coming to people say, do not be afraid. He didn't say do not be calm. He said do not be afraid. He, he walks into the disciples' lives at a time of calamity and he says, come on, man, chill out. That's my paraphrase of the whole circumstance. Right after Jesus died and is resurrected. And by the way, can you... Can you just put yourself in that boat for a second? A guy that you put down fishing for and you decided to follow for about three years has been talking about this for a little bit, but you were really unclear about what he was saying. You really had no reference point to grasp what he was actually telling you. So you actually witnessed him being crucified. And then a couple days later, you realize that he's not crucified or he's not dead anymore. And you're not even sure how to process that. Has anybody ever seen a not dead person after they were dead? What do you do with that? There was no way they knew how to process it. So all they had to go on was that he's not there, but we're still in danger. He's not dead, but we are still in danger. And so the Bible says at the beginning of Acts that they were locking themselves in the room for fear of the Jews. The same people that killed Jesus are going to kill us. And I believe, I think I've told you this before, that I believe it's significant that they say lock themselves in the room because I believe that that typically probably wasn't the normal occasion. It was the exact opposite right now. I would write they didn't lock their door because most people do lock their door. But in scripture, they point out specifically that they were locking themselves in the room, taking extra precautions, scared of the Jews. And every time Jesus came in, he said, hey, chill out. Not technically, but that's my paraphrase. He'd walk through the locked door and he'd say, calm down. I'm still here. Calm down. You don't have anything to be afraid of. Calm down. Matter of fact, don't leave. Don't run away just because it's getting tough. Don't, don't, stop, don't stop being who you are just because times have gotten rough. Don't leave. He's saying there's a crisis. Yes, he wasn't denying the crisis. 
He wasn't saying, oh, calm down, nothing's going on. He wasn't denying that there was panic. He wasn't denying. He was saying, but you don't have to get wrapped up in it. I know that your circumstances look dire, but your faith doesn't have to change. It is a very serious situation when our hope is tied to circumstances. Because you can't predict them. And just like nobody woke up January 1st going, hey, I'm predicting a whole virus outbreak across the globe. You'd have bought toilet paper back then. (laughs) But none of us did. Because there's things in life that you just can't predict. (laughs) I was in a place the other day and um, it was in an office environment and they had what was supposed to be a foaming can of hand sanitizer and the and it's all the place had on the shelf. It was in an office environment and it was dated 2011. And, I, and they, were, they were joking about it. I said, I think I would get more sick about that. What is even in that can? It had lost all aerosol. So you dumped it over, squeeze the trigger and this stuff dribbled out. There's things in your life you'll never be able to anticipate. If you live long enough, you will get sick. If you live long enough, you'll die. Actually, that is something we can anticipate. <laughs> what do we say? Things happen that you can't, antic- you can't anticipate everything. But you can anticipate one thing, and that's the faithfulness of God in the things that you can't anticipate. So why would my faith change just because the circumstance has? So circumstance come, come and go. I-, I remember telling somebody the other day, it, one day you just wake up and it's not like this anymore. But here's what you will never wake up to. You'll never wake up to God changing. That's the thing that we can have hope in every day of our lives, whether today is extremely painful or extremely joyous. The fact is that God has not left, has not changed, has not deserted you, has not given up, and has not lost. He's victorious. And so the most absurd thing a Christian could do is in the middle of crisis, Lose faith. It's the exact opposite of what he's trying to do in our lives. John 16, 33, this will give you hope. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Most of us like to stop there. He was telling them all kinds of stuff that he was going to go away, but he was going to send the Holy Spirit. And, and if, you, if you remember, this is John chapter 16, John chapter 15, he talks about, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And, he, and, he's, and he's, he's digging down into what we talked about a couple of weeks ago and how you've got to be connected to me. So you can't separate John 15 from John 16 when he says, in this world you have tribulation. He said, I've said all these things. I've said, you have to be connected to me. And I'm warning you up front that I am leaving, but I'm sending the cover. I'm sending the Holy Spirit to you. So we're not going to get disconnected. So stay connected. You get into John chapter 16 and he says, I've said all these things because you're going to have a crisis. In this world, you have tribulation. Matter of fact, he wasn't even talking about something like a virus because the first century church was persecuted. A virus was the last of their concerns. The first of their concerns was actually dying because they believed in Jesus. 
He said, in this world, you will have persecution. But I've overcome all of it. And so now the relevance of Jesus dying and rising from the dead is now forefront in their minds. Wait a second. The same Jesus that raised from the dead now can protect me in the time of persecution. So he says, you'll have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world. The disciples are followers of Christ. And he's explaining that they would have difficult times, persecution and persecution. I can guarantee to the point that none of them anticipated none of them. But in the midst of all that, they could have peace because Christ had already won. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, now faith is a confidence in what we see and what we hope for in the assurance about what we do not see. Now, let me say something to you. Without a crisis, it's hard for me to even know that you have faith. Did, did, you, did you understand that? Because a crisis is where faith is actually proven out. Because if you've got enough money in the bank and the transmission goes out, I don't need faith. Amen? So, uh, can I go out on a limb? Most of the American way of living is to set ourselves up to the point where we don't need faith anymore. If I inoculate myself, if I save up enough money, if I eat the right things, if I drink the right things, if I do the right things, then everything good will happen to me. That's what we believe here. Not here, but in the United States. That's what we believe. Nothing bad could happen to me because I've done all the right things. And so therefore I don't need a lot of faith because I've prepared. And then there's the toilet paper. And you're like, I didn't anticipate that. Because what Jesus inherently knew was that you couldn't prepare for everything that was going to happen to your life, but you could live by faith. So What that means is, is that even though you don't see it changing, you act as though it is changing. It's faith. So even though when you look at my life, it may seem like it's crumbling and you're asking yourself, why isn't he crumbling himself? It's because I'm anticipating God doing something about it. Has he done anything about it? Not, doesn't seem like yet, but I'm anticipating he will. That's faith. It's the evidence of things not seen. You may be in a circumstance this morning that you didn't anticipate trying to figure out how to make it. The evidence that you believe in God is that you are calm, collected with peace in your heart Because you're confident, I know it doesn't look like it yet, but you're confident that God is moving. That's faith. That's faith. And as much as we try to prepare, as much as we try to work ourselves into a place, the whole American goal is not to have faith, not to need faith. If I can, if I can save up, if I can do this, 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 then I won't have to trust God. God says, listen, there's stuff coming your way that you can't prepare for. Nobody can. So faith comes in the picture. Crisis is the testing ground for faith, not good times. Who needs faith when everything's going well? It's crisis 
That's the pressure cooker for faith. It's the, it's the thing that, that, that reveals what's already been put in place. Crisis is the thing that reveals the structure. You don't know how much a structure will hold until you load it up. You don't know how much a, you don't know how much a thing will, uh, will hold until you put enough weight on it to test the limits. And what I read in scripture is with God, all things are possible. So even in a circumstance I wasn't anticipating, I don't have to have a crisis of faith because I know with him all things are possible. I know even in the worst scenario, scenario, he can see me through. I know he can sustain me. I know he can keep me. I know he can put a smile on my face. I know I can have joy in the morning when I wake up in peace when I lay my head down. I know that I can have faith to weather whatever comes. Amen? So a crisis in circumstance does not mean a crisis in faith. Matter of fact, it can mean the exact opposite. A crisis in circumstance can reveal how strong the faith is. That's what I'm praying is happening. We're going to keep talking about that. Because the unexpected doesn't have to be a crisis of faith. I also looked at that scripture in Jeremiah and realized... That where you are planted determines your sustainability. Where you're planted determines your sustainability. There's flowers that will bloom in the desert, but for a very short period of time. And after doing this 20 years, any, anybody who, who has in, been in the walk of faith very long has seen people pop up when the water comes down and then shrivel when it goes away. Pop up when everything's going well and then shrivel when it doesn't. Pop up when the sun and the water comes and then when it doesn't, they shrink back. Jesus told that story. Jesus told it to the disciples. He talked about scattering seed. He scattered it all and the seed was scattered on all different types of ground and the disciples were having a hard time understanding what the heck was going on. What what are you talking about? So he explains it to them in in plain English and he said, there's some seed that's scattered on certain types of soils that pop up really quick. Some people believe really quick, like, oh yeah, this gospel thing's exciting, but their roots never go deep enough And what happens is the pressures and desires of the world push around them. Let's, can we say the unexpected may happen? Can we say the cares of life may happen? And it pushes around them. And guess what happens? They shrivel and die. For one reason and one reason alone, they weren't planted in the right place for the roots to go down. Shallow soil. No real depth to it. No real, no real depth to, to go down and get water that was sustainable. They were just popped up really quick. So where you're planted matters to be sustainable. And I know, listen to me. The writer of Hebrews says that we should not neglect the gathering of ourselves together. Now, I'm not saying that we can't do that online. 
I'm not saying we can't make adjustments when time requires adjustments. But what happens is the writer of Hebrews says, when the day of the Lord, when the, when, when the end is getting closer, and can I just say this? We're closer than when they wrote Hebrews. A couple thousand years, that's it. We're closer than they were Hebrews. So he's saying, even as the end approaches, you should be getting together more often. Why is that? Because being planted in the right place gives you the ability to get the right nutrients. It gives you the ability to get the right nutrients. So if you're not planted in the right place, the nutrients by default won't be there. Some of us want to be planted in the desert so we don't have to mess with anybody else. But then when all hell breaks loose, there's no water to sustain us. And let me tell you something. Part of God's plan to sustain you is other people. Just like, well, it's hard for me to make relationships. We're talking about sustainability. We're talking about pushing the roots down deep and deep and deep. So there's some things we have to overcome in order to push the roots down deep. And I know relationships might be difficult, but in the time of crisis, they're absolutely necessary. Amen? You're like, my schedule's too busy, too busy to read the Bible. It's too busy to pray. Well, listen, if you plant yourself in the desert, you can't expect water every day. You can't expect water. You can't expect to push the roots down deep. If you plant yourself, but, the, but Jeremiah says, if you trust in the Lord, if you put your trust in the Lord, if you turn and do it the way God says, this is the way I want you to do it. I want you to be in community. I want you to be in my word. I want you to talk to me. If you will plant, if you will trust me, I'll make sure the resources are there to sustain you. Amen. Crises are bad enough. Crises while we're alone are 10 times as bad. Where you're planted determines your sustainability. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. I'm going to get to that in a second. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. I, I, I read that Proverbs and I started thinking about this. I, I, read, I like to read a lot about the way your mind works and personalities. We, we, all the, all the leadership in the church, uh, we send them through a personality test. And so now we, we don't call, call people by their name. We call them by their number. So fun doing that. I'm like, you're acting like a one right now. What I figured out about myself was by default, my nature is to not ask for help. And that looks tough in normal times, and it looks dangerous in a crisis. And here's what I figured out over time. I just don't ask for help. You can ask my wife. Asking for help is annoying to me. It's a sign of weakness. It's like, you can't do it yourself. I'll just figure it out. You know, it's it's been the mantra of everything. Like, I just figured out doing myself. I don't need anybody help telling me what to do. Anybody relate to that? Or all of you are like, whoa, we didn't know you were like that. So I've done that over the years, over and over and over and over again. Just like somebody say, hey, you need any help? No, man, I got it. You need help? No, man, I got it. And I'll be bleeding, laying on my back, dude. No, 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 I'm fine. Fine, I still got one leg, I'm good. I'll just hobble over here, do it myself. 
until something unexpected comes that you can't handle yourself. And then where did you plant yourself? By yourself. And what God had to teach me over the last 20 years is, Chris, I didn't call everything to do. I didn't call you to do everything by yourself. I called you to do it with other people. Can I just say something to you this morning? Don't lean on your own understanding. Figure out what your knee jerk is to everything and then figure out what God's word says about your knee jerk. Because your knee jerk might not be right. And what I figured out is my knee jerk was to be a tough guy and do it myself. And then God said, I, Jesus didn't do that. Why would I expect you? When Jesus came to the earth, he started his full-time ministry. He got 12 guys around him. Not because he needed help, but because he was trying to equip people for the gospel to go forth. He could he was God incarnate. He could have just spoke the word and he didn't have to lay hands on anybody. He could have walked into a town and said, everybody be healed. And boom, it would have happened. But he brought 12 guys around him to show us how to do community. Show us how to forgive. Show us how to understand. Show us how when people go sideways, you can bring them back into the flock. Show us that even in the deepest relationships, you will be betrayed. He's taught us all of that stuff. And so if Jesus had walked around as a tough guy, we wouldn't have learned any of that. But he said, no, 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 I'm going to send out 12. Then I'm going to send out 72. I'm, I'm going to have people around me. And even in his deepest, darkest hour in the Garden of Gethsemane where he was going to go and pray, he even called the disciples to come with him at that. He called Peter, James, and John. He said, come on in with me a little farther, a stone's throw. Come on in and, and just pray with me. The guy who you would have expected, if anybody on the planet could have said, no, I got this. I'm saving the whole world. I don't need any other help. I'm going to walk in this garden. I'm going to pray by myself. Stay away from me. Don't distract me. I know you're going to fall asleep anyway. If I'm going to do it right. <laughs> I'll do it myself. You think Jesus didn't know they were going to fall asleep? He called them in anyway. God never wants you to be isolated. So figure out what your knee jerk is and then figure out how it aligns with God's word. And I figured out my knee jerk was not to include other people. And so what God taught me is you're going to go through a crisis where you have to depend on other people. And what you're going to find out is that your roots aren't deep enough to sustain you. Because that's because you were going off of the, just the way you thought instead of what my scripture said. So don't lean on your own understanding. Don't do that. Don't lean on just the way you feel. Don't lean on just the way you think. Renew your mind with the word of God. Because just the way you think might get you into something that you can't get out of. So he says, don't lean on your own understanding. But the word of God. The Bible says he can renew us. He can change the way we think. So I changed the way, I had to change the way I operated and the way I thought. Psalms 1, listen to this. This is so beautiful. It, it aligns right with this. Jeremiah, blessed is the one who does not walk in the step with the wicked or stand in the way the sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Did you hear that? Whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. 
He's feeding. They're feeding themselves in the word of they've been planted in the right spot. They trust the Lord and they've been planted where there's a sustainable source of water and they're feeding themselves and the roots are going deep and the roots are going deep. And then watch what happens. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. It's Jeremiah. Whatever they do prospers. And when the drought come or and whenever they do prospers, here's what I want to tell you this morning. When the drought comes, it's a little late to prepare. You know what? Let me give you a little background from how I grew up. Um, I grew up in a similar of God church where every day I thought I was going to hell. And I've said this before, but that's just the mentality. I don't know if it was right. It wasn't right, but there was a mentality I, I had. So if I, um, so I would go to church on Sunday, of course, uh, we, we would Sunday night, we went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Tuesday night was youth group, Wednesday night was uh, family night. So about four times a week, I, my family would be in church and I thank God for that. Every Sunday night, there'd be a time of prayer and we typically, we had pews in the church where we had me and me and the pastor's kids and my brother would, would be over here and we would kneel down at the pew and we would, we would be like praying, but looking to see if it was safe to get up. Anybody ever did that? You know, like you're 15, 14 years old and you're like, well, if, if my buddy gets up, who's the pastor's kid, then it's all obviously safe for me to get up now. I'm just gauging my spirituality by how spiritual he is because he's a pastor's kid. So I'm like, okay, he got up, so I'm going to get up. Good kids. And then if I went to school Monday morning and cussed a little bit, I'd think, oh, bring you back to church on Sunday and pray again. And, and I told you before, I, if, I, if I came home and all, I couldn't get a hold of any of my parents or my grandparents, me and my brother look at each other and think the rapture came. So, um, so what would happen is I, I would, I would be stuck kind of in this cycle of, of getting saved and then sin a little bit, getting saved, sin a little bit, getting saved, sin a little bit. And, and I would think I would have to get saved again, saved again, saved again, saved again. And I, I was never really prepared for what, what was coming. I was just playing this ping pong game uh, between like I'm sinning a little bit and I'm not sinning or I'm asking forgiveness. And that, and that followed me all, all the way up like till, till I was probably in my early twenties. And what I realized was, is that I had, I had not, I had not prepared. I, I, I wasn't planted in anything. I wasn't grounded in anything. I was just waffling back and forth my whole teenage life. And it was like bouncing back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And, and I, and I couldn't, I, I, I didn't have any foundation to go on. It was just, it was just this unsustainable back and forth. And so it, it wasn't until my early twenties that I actually realized that I could, I could start planting roots and preparing because once the drought comes, it's too late. And so I would think, I would think, can I just, now this is the mentality growing up. I'll wait until the end because God's a gracious God and he's going to give me a couple minutes right before I die. To, like I was young, I was not planning to have a heart attack. And so I'm thinking, 
I'll take those last couple moments and I'll make it right with God. But right now, I'm going to go down to my buddy's house and drink that beer. Because I'm going to have time at the end. Maybe you didn't grow up that way, but that's the way I grew up. Plus, Sunday's coming. I'll be able to go to church and pray. What I figured out was later in my 20s, I started listening. In my early 20s, I listened to this guy. And he said that they started listening to black box recordings of, of airplanes that were going down. And he said it was blatantly obvious who had a relationship with God and who didn't. And nobody started one at the end. Because once the crisis came, it was too late. What you have already put in the ground will sustain you or it won't. And so I realized, oh, if I live my life apart from God, chances are I'm not going to turn to him at the crisis time. I'm not going to turn to him at the end. And so I started changing things. Because I started thinking, well, I I don't know if I want to wait till the end. Because now I'm almost 44 years old. I could have a heart attack now. Hopefully not. When the drought comes, it's too late because this is the reason. Drought reveals how much work has already been done. Drought, drought reveals one thing, how much work has already been done on the root system. That's what a drought will reveal. And if your roots are shallow, the drought's going to reveal that really quick. If your faith is shallow, the crisis is going to reveal it really quick. But if your roots are deep, Can I say this to you? Here's what I figured out. There's water down there somewhere. When we, when we built our first house, the, the guy drilling the well came out and, uh, and I said, Hey man, how are you going to figure out where to drill the well? He said, there's water down there. And I thought, yeah, but I want the cheaper water. I want the stuff closer to the surface. So I was doing that thing with the sticks and trying to figure it out. And, and he was just looking at me. He said, Chris, we're going to drill the well right here. I'm like, bro, I want cheap water. Like we got to figure out. He said, there's water down there. And what I found out is in life, if you push the roots down far enough, you will find sustaining water. But it's a process that you have to invest in. You, you can't wait for the rain every day to sustain you because in some circumstances in your life, it doesn't rain. You have to do the diligent work of pushing the roots down. We have to push the roots down. That's why I'm thankful that Jeremiah makes mention of that. He's like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots. It doesn't wait for the water to come to it. It sends its roots out. And so as a, as a body of believers, as a church, we have to be diligent about sending the roots out. Romans 12, chapter 1. Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Look into the word of God and let it change what you think. We pray that prayer almost every Sunday. Lord, we're getting ready to look into your word. Now change how we think. Push those roots deeper than our circumstances. Push those roots deeper than what's around us. Push those roots deeper than what's happening. And Paul writing to the Roman church said, don't think like everybody else. 
Don't think shallow. Don't think, don't think just about the circumstance. Push your roots down and let the word of God renew your mind. Then you'll be able to improve what God's good and pleasing perfect will is. You'll know what God thinks because you read his word. Push the roots down. The crisis will reveal how deep the roots are. The the drought will reveal if the roots found water or not. Hebrews chapter 5, the band's going to come up. We're going to wrap this up. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 5 says, About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you become dull of hearing. Now, I want you to look at that scripture right there. You have become. He didn't say you were always. He's writing to, the, he's writing to Hebrews, and he, he didn't say you were always dull of hearing. He said you've become dull of hearing. That's significant there. He said you, you started out well. But maybe all the things in life, maybe culture, maybe all these things, you've become dull of hearing. You stop listening. You stop paying attention. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. He says, he's not messing around here, listen. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. The writer of Hebrews is saying this, you came to Christ and you had a great start, but somewhere along the line, you stopped listening. Somewhere along the line, you let the cares of life and all the stuff that's going on, you just let it come in on you. And he said, by my timeline, by now you should have been mature enough to teach other people. Now, let me preface it by saying this. The writer of Hebrews was talking about something kind of deep before he he gives this admonition. He was talking about some kind of deep things. And he's saying, listen, the reason you don't understand this is because you stopped. You had this really exciting introduction to the gospel and then you let it fall off. It's just like the seed scattering. You popped up really quick and man, it's a cool church and I've met Jesus and it's so awesome, but I never gained the discipline of reading scripture. I never gained the discipline of prayer. I never, never gained the discipline of worship. I never gained the discipline of fasting. And so he's writing to them saying, listen, I was expecting by this time you would have gotten all this stuff and you could have been at the point where you could have taught other people this but you become slow to hear because all the other things that are happening around you, the things that are expected, the things that are unexpected, all the other things happening around you clog the whole thing up. And he says, you're still drinking milk. You should be eating meat by now. He's talking about progression of kids. And when little babies start out, you feed them milk, but you stop feeding them. You stop. It's kind of weird to give a 15 year old a bottle. Can we agree with that? There's no parent that ever says, hey, listen, you slow down a little bit, so we're going to go back to baby food. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, that's what's happening to the church. It's like you started off in this great, 
great thing. You were, you were excited and you were going for it. And then somewhere along the line, you just, you just stopped. And now we've got to go back and give you baby food again. You're saying, don't do that. Don't do that. So that's why every year we fast. That's why every year we, we look into God's word, not just, not just to feel good about ourselves, but we look into God's word to challenge us. That's why we, that's why we practice praying together. By the way, we're going to have another prayer meeting Wednesday night, seven o'clock. Don't be a baby. That was his words, not mine. The disciplines of pushing the roots down deep. So when the whole world is freaking out, we're not. So can we pray that way this morning? Why don't you stand to your feet? Maybe you're here today and you said, man, I've come to the Christ, I've come to Christ for the first time, but this is so new to me. Or maybe, maybe you're one of those people you came to Christ 10 years ago and just because of the pace of life and the crazy things that happened, you've let it just never really establish disciplines in your life. So you feel yourself being swayed back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I'm telling you over and over in scripture, it says, dig into the word of God. Don't trust your own understanding in all your ways. Listen to him. And he will make your path. You want straight paths? Dig into God's word every day. Super easy. Your phone can remind you. Pop a reading plan on your phone and go, God, you know what? The stuff's hitting the fan right now. I need to make sure I'm thinking the right way. I need to make sure I'm grounded. And there's an opportunity. I don't care if you haven't been fasting. Fast this week. My people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. Start out praying five minutes. Start out praying at a minute every week. Just start out. Start somewhere. Writer of Hebrews says, listen, there's times in our lives where we need to be ready to eat meat. We need to be ready for it. It's the preparation. It's pushing the roots down deep that cause us to be ready for when things like this happen. We don't have to panic. The beautiful thing is, We don't cease to bear fruit. So when everybody else is flipping out, the church is blossoming. Because I'm going to tell you something. The gospel is extremely resilient in crisis. Did you hear me? The gospel is unbelievably resilient when crisis comes. If you don't believe it, read the first couple chapters of Acts. And when all craziness breaks loose, the gospel blows up. And so I believe in circumstances like this, People want to have hope, and the only place they're going to find real hope is in Jesus and Him alone. Amen? So the gospel works. But we have to be a church confident of that. And the reason we can be confident of it is because our roots are deep. So take no more time. Push the roots down. Amen? Father, we thank you this morning. You are good to us. You are faithful to us. And you have never changed. And we make a commitment this morning to push the roots out to find the everlasting water. That once we drink of it, Lord, we'll never want anything else. God, we pray that we'd be a church unshakable. That we'd be people. Lord, that would not be swayed by conventional thinking, God, but would be grounded in your word. Teach us today, Lord. Change us today, Lord. And empower us today to do what you've called us to do. 
Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen and amen. Encourage somebody on the way out. We'll see you back here next week.